We are continuing our series through the Gospel of John, and if you're visiting for the first time, this is the first time you're at Grace Church, just want to introduce myself. My name is Justin Ross, one of the pastors here, and uh, just want to personally welcome you. And we're excited about this series through the Gospel of John because we have been blessed by it, we've been encouraged, and I trust and believe that we're going to continue to be blessed and encouraged by the words of John in his Gospel. Another way you could refer to it is the proclamation of John or the teachings of John. John was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus. He got to sit and listen. He was an eyewitness, an ear witness to the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. And what we're reading here this morning is first ca- uh, first-hand account of, of what Jesus did and what he said. And uh, you're going to be blessed by it this morning. Last week, we actually saw a conversation that Jesus had between he and a, and a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a very religious guy. And we talked about how our country, we, we know religion. We're all about religion. We're very familiar with religion. But Nicodemus was trusting in his religion to get him to heaven, to be right with God. And Jesus said, no, Nicodemus, the only way to be made right with the holy God, the only way to have eternal life, the only way to, to go to heaven is to trust in me, is through me through Jesus Christ. And and Jesus said that, Nicodemus, is true religion. This morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to share three different stories with you, three different stories that are going to encourage you, that are going to bless you, three stories that have life-changing truth in them. And I believe they're going to be life-changing for you this morning. And the first one is the story of the Samaritan woman found in the Gospel of John chapter 4, so if you have your Bible with you, you're more than welcome to turn, turn to John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one this morning. Um, after the service, just go to the welcome desk and say, can I have a Bible? And we will give you one. We would love, you, uh, love, love for you to have a Bible. But I'm going to read this story in the Gospel of John chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read quite a few verses here, but I want us to, to really capture and understand this story. So we're going to begin John chapter 4. Verse 4, it says, So he, speaking of Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said, Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And well, this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water 
Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and indeed it's here right now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is a spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman But none of them had the nerve or the courage to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So these verses that I I just read to you this morning in John chapter 4, these verses were written in the midst or right in the middle of a time of social, political, and racial conflict. I mean, the Jews and the Samaritans, they, they not only, you know, they didn't talk to each other, they hated each other. They, they did not uh, get along at all. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, and yet Jesus goes to and he goes through Samaria. And when he goes there about 12 noon, he encounters a woman at the well, and this just, you know, this isn't just any well, this is Jacob's well. This is a well that has a lot of significance, a lot of history, a lot of meaning It's the well that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Jesus meets this woman on common ground. And might I add, he meets this woman outside of the church. And I think in order for us to to impact and to reach people, we need to meet them on common ground. Oftentimes, it's going to happen outside of this setting right here in church. It's going to happen in our our workplace or uh, at the restaurant or, you know, on the street. Jesus met her on common ground and I think when we meet people on common ground, our focus isn't on our differences, maybe our differences of theology or our differences of politics or our differences of the color of our skin, but we focus more on unity when we meet on common ground. When Jesus meets this woman, he does something that is outside of the social norm. He asks her 
for a drink of water. Now, remember, Jews and Samaritans, they don't talk to each other. So Jesus does something that is contrary to the social norm, to the culture. And when Jesus asks her for a drink, she is shocked. She's confused about why Jesus is even talking to her. She's shocked that a Jew would ask a Samaritan for a drink. And this act of Jesus, what he did, he crossed social lines. He crossed social barriers, and it leads to a great opportunity to witness. The opportunity for Jesus to share the living water with this woman. Now remember, in, in the scriptures, water is always a symbol of life. Anytime you read about water, it's, it's, a, it's a picture or a symbol of life. And so Jesus is offering this Samaritan woman eternal life. And that leads Jesus to ask her a question. He says, where is your husband? And we all read it together, and she responded by saying, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're telling the truth because you've got a bunch of them. <laughs> you don't just, uh, you know, not just one, you have a bunch of them, and the guy that you're with now is not even your husband. The point that, that Jesus, I believe, is making here is if we're going to be in a right relationship with our Heavenly Father, we're going to have to deal with some of the issues in our life. Now remember, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, man, He accepts you just as you are. But we talked about this last week. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, it's not just a once and done decision. It's not like your free ticket to heaven and then you just get to do what you want. When you make that decision to follow Jesus Christ, his spirit enters your life and, and it begins the process of sanctification. It begins the process of making you right with God. And so that means we have to deal with sin. We have to deal with the brokenness in our life. The Samaritan woman says, I, I perceive that you're a prophet, Jesus. I mean, how in the world do you know these things about my personal life? I perceive that you're a prophet. I guess so. I mean, Jesus told her, all about her life. And she goes on to say, when the Messiah comes, uh, then all of this brokenness around me and in me will be made right. And I really, I really believe that this is something that we hear even in our day and age today. I mean, the Samaritan woman is making this comment, and this comment was made 2,000 years ago or more. But I think we hear this comment even in our day and age. I think sometimes we'll make a comment similar to what she just said to comfort ourselves. We'll say things, when Jesus comes back, he'll fix everything. When Jesus returns, he'll sort out all the crazy, you know, loonies out there. He'll, he'll, he'll make it all right when he comes back. When he comes back, he'll, 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 he'll fix everything. He'll straighten everything out. Sometimes I think people have the mindset, I'm going to do my own thing now, and when Jesus returns, um, he'll sort it all out. Kind of giving us permission to kind of do what we want to do. The Samaritan says, when Jesus, or the Messiah rather, when the Messiah comes, then all of this brokenness around me and in me will be made right. But what was Jesus' response to her when she said that? Jesus said, your Messiah is already here. I am the Messiah. What I'm saying to you this morning is we don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to deal with the brokenness in our lives. We don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to deal with the brokenness in our, in our culture, in our society, in the world around us. We don't have to wait for the Messiah. The Messiah is already here. He's in your heart. He's in your life. He is in my life. We don't have to wait for his return. He's in our midst. And based upon his word, he tells us, if you're going to worship me, 
You must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, God's standards are are for all men, women, and children, for all places, for all time, because his truth is universal. His truth is transcendent. He says, if you're going to worship me, you need to worship me right. And what that means is, it means crossing some of the boundaries that don't fit society's norms. It means doing some things that are uncomfortable. The woman that Jesus is visiting with, she gets so excited because she has met the Messiah and she runs back to town and she begins to tell everyone, I have met the one we've been waiting for. Come and see the man who has told me everything I have ever done. And she says, is this not the Messiah? Is this not the Christ? And so people come from the villages and they, they, they come to the place where Jesus was. And, and, and I, need to, I need us to understand this. You might say, man, this is kind of weird. A woman comes and claims that this man is a Messiah and everybody gets all crazy. But in this day and age, when someone makes a claim like that, if they say they're the, the Messiah, they're either the, the Messiah or they get put to death. That's the culture that we're talking about. So when someone claims to be the Messiah, it's kind of a big deal. And so everybody uh, comes out to where Jesus is, and they want to meet this guy that this woman is talking about. And we read in the story that at the same time, the disciples came back. So all the people from the towns and the villages are coming, and then the disciples return at the same time. And remember, they went to town to get some food. They went to go get some lunch for Jesus. They were probably getting some Chick-fil-A. You know, they're bringing some Chick-fil-A back for Jesus. And when the disciples got back, they were shocked that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. I mean, they were offended. They were shocked. They were disturbed that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. They've seen him talk to many females, but not to a Samaritan woman. They say to Jesus, they say, Rabbi, eat. And he says, I've already eaten. My nourishment is to do the will of my Father. You know, that should be the mindset. That should be the attitude of every believer. I am here on this earth to do the will of God. That's why I'm here. That should be our mindset. That should be our motivation. I'm here to please God, not just to satisfy cultural or traditional or historical norms or standards. I'm here to do the will of God. That should be our mindset. Now, Jesus was talking to a group of disciples who could not understand, they could not comprehend why Jesus would take the time to minister to an individual that was not like them, didn't look like them, didn't think like them, didn't vote like them. Why would Jesus take the time to minister to someone that is not like us? Why would Jesus take the time to minister to people from other races with other histories and experiences and backgrounds? But Jesus let them know when it comes to the kingdom of God, church, we need to understand the kingdom that we serve, the kingdom of God. We need to understand more about it. When when it comes to the kingdom of God, we need to let God's standards rule. That his standards need to be the ones that we submit to, that we follow. Not how you were raised, not your culture, not your own opinions, not your own ethnicity, 
We need to let God's standards rule, God's ways. And what Jesus did here was he opened the door for great evangelistic opportunities. He was offering eternal life. And as a result, when we read that story in John chapter 4, it says, many believed on him because he was willing to step across lines that the culture was saying, you can't step across those lines. You can't do that. You can't talk to that race. You can't interact with those type of people. And Jesus stepped across and said, I love people. I don't care what culture says. I love people. And many believed on him. And not only did they believe on him, but Jesus ended up staying with them over the weekend. He built relationship with them. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about myself. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and then I'm done with you. No, he built relationship and friendship. Jesus crossed the railroad tracks. He crossed the bridge that no one else was crossing. And because Jesus became the center of focus, it was all about Christ. You see, the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus, is a unifying power. It brings cultures and races and people together around the central focus of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely critical that we take advantage of the good news of the gospel and the unifying power of Jesus Christ. Man, Jesus unifies people. Sometimes I, I think we read this story. Okay, that's story number one, the good Samaritan woman. No, that's not true. The Samaritan woman, all right? The good Samaritan, that's another story. That's story number one about the Samaritan woman. I think sometimes it's really hard for us to relate to that story because, I don't know about you, I, I took a really long shower this morning. I got up early, I turned the water on, just hitting my head, and I just stood there forever. And, oh, this feels so good. Like, none of us have to go to a well to get water and take a bucket of water home so that we can cook tonight. We, we just, it's hard for us to relate to that. And so I want to share a story. This is story number two. I want to share a story with us in our day and age that I, I think will help us better understand the story of the Samaritan woman. The story I want to share with you is the story of Brant Jean. Many of you may have heard about this story. Uh, Brant's brother, uh, Botham Jean, was shot and killed in his Dallas apartment on September 6th of last year. Botham was shot by Amber Geiger. Amber was an off-duty Dallas police officer. And she walked into his apartment thinking it was hers, and she thought that Botham was breaking into her home when it was really his home, and she shot and killed him. On Wednesday of this week, Amber was sentenced to 10 years in prison. After the sentencing, Brant Botham's 18-year-old brother, he's 18 years old, he stepped up to the witness stand and Brant was given a chance to tell Amber Geiger what he thought of her. There were only two rules, okay? Two rules for this victim impact statement. Rule number one was there was no threats allowed. Rule number two was you couldn't use any profanity. And what happened next left everyone in the courtroom and those that watched online completely stunned even even courthouse veterans were uh, weeping at what they were witnessing and what they saw because they had never seen this before they had never seen something like they had just seen and I, I just want us to 
maybe understand or talk for just a moment. Like we, we live in a, in a small mountain town, and I think maybe sometimes we can live in a little bit of a bubble, but has there not been some racial tension in our country? There has been. And what we're going to see and listen, what Brant does and what he says to Amber Geiger, an off-duty police officer that wrongfully killed his brother in his own apartment, I mean, this is just absolutely incredible. I want you to watch this video this morning. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just... I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt all the thing the bad things you may have done in the past each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do if you truly are sorry I know I can speak for myself I I forgive you and I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. That's, I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes.
Wow. I mean, that, that kind of forgiveness, it, it only comes through Christ. I mean, that's an incredible story of forgiveness, even though there were racial differences, there was in, intense pain, there was incredible loss. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ crosses racial barriers. The gospel of Jesus Christ crosses the color of skin, crosses political and social agendas. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. The third story I want to share with us this morning is another incredible story of forgiveness, and it's the story that brings hope to every single person in the entire world, and it's the story of Jesus Christ. We've heard about the Samaritan woman. We've heard about the incredible forgiveness that was offered by Brent, and now it's the story of Jesus, and it's the story of Jesus who was willing to lay down his life for you and me to be forgiven from our brokenness. Remember, Jesus, when he was hanging on a cross, he was being put to death wrongfully. He was completely innocent. He had done nothing wrong, and he was hanging on a, on a cross. He had nails in his hands and nails in his feet. He was dying a very brutal, intense death. If you remember, while he was hanging, he looked at the people who had put him to death. He looked at the people that were mocking him. He looked at the people that were spitting in his face. And like Brant, he offered forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And this kind of forgiveness, and I have to be honest with you, this kind of forgiveness baffles us. It kind of confuses us. I don't fully understand it. And I would venture to say you don't fully understand it. But that kind of forgiveness is being offered to you this morning through the power of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. That kind of forgiveness is being offered to you. And I urge you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to ask him to forgive you of your sin, your wrongdoings, and he will give you living water. And you will never thirst spiritually again. Will never thirst again, and he will give you eternal life. That kind of forgiveness is being offered to you, and it only comes through, through Jesus Christ. Man, if you're here this morning and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ, you can run up here right now like Melanie did. Okay, you are welcome to do that. But you can also want to invite you to our prayer room. You can talk to me afterwards. You can make that decision on your own. Okay, but I just I encourage you to give your life to Jesus Christ, to give your trust to Jesus Christ, to give your, your faith and, and your life, just to give it, give it to him. He will never fail you. He'll never forsake you.